0: So I'll stand and have a word of prayer. Father, Lord, we're coming to you this morning. Have this little Sunday school class. Lord, I ask that you would come down and be with us, meet us here, Father, for we gathered in your name and you said that you would always come when two or three were gathered. And Lord, we know that you never miss an appointment. So Father, we're asking that you would come down and Lord, you see the technical difficulties that we're having, Lord. Father, we're just speaking a word of prayer about that, Lord, that you would come in and and you are not the author of confusion, so Lord, that you would come in and make these things right, that we could uh, resolve these things efficiently and quickly, and that you would set everything in order. Father, that you would anoint my heart and my lips, my mind, that I could get out of the way and allow you to speak through me and encourage the people a little and they would take this and maybe sharpen their sword of faith a little with what I have to say and be able to meet the devil in a, on a more even footing, Lord, and that it would, it would be you going before us, Lord, that you would overwhelm these any issue in our lives, Father. And Lord, that I ask that you would anoint our eyes and our hearts to see you in the word as we read, Father, that we know that we have no right to approach your word without speaking to the author first. So we've come before you now to pray for the, the revelation that would come with the reading of your word. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, while I got you seated, I want to... Um, if you'll bear with me, we've been having technical difficulties all morning. Everything has gone completely sideways. can't hear anything from the speakers. That'd be why. Um, and uh, my... I didn't have time to pull my notes up here, and now they aren't pulling up, so we're gonna have to wing it. <laughs> um, let me see if I got my backup on my on my phone here. Um, give me a brief moment. Uh, turn to, I believe it's Hebrews the seventh chapter. If I'm wrong, I'll be close. Yeah. Hebrews chapter seven and verse one. Um, all right. it says, "For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, um, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave, gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king, of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Man, y'all can be seated. Um, so I want to speak a little. Um, I want to continue. I've been doing a little bit of a series and I want to kind of continue off of the foundation that I had last time. Um, and uh, previously we talked about how that there was um, a type of of the, of the plan of redemption as Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt that, you know, as they left Egypt, that would have been the type of justification. In the wilderness, that was sanctification, bringing of the law. And that as they, excuse me, enter into the promised land, into the land that they were promised under the covenant with Abraham, that that was a type of the of the Holy Spirit, um, which Wednesday night so blessed my heart that Brother Jason was also taking an angle on that, and I was, it is the most conflicting feeling in the world to be so enthralled with what he's saying and so amening very hard, and also being, please don't preach my material for Sunday school. Um <laughs> Because he was getting real close to it, um, but the um, the my my but you know he he really didn't, and it, I, I, so I, I really believe that there'd be something to say here. So we talked about how in the in the past um, or in, during the the time of the judges that this would be the time when the children of Israel are in the promised land under. God, the king, because if we, I, we look at this character, Melchizedek, who meets Abraham and that Abraham, you know, we, we know through the teaching of the message of the hour, you know, uh, who this Melchizedek was, you know, throughout history, there would have been lots of people, theologians who would have looked at this character and not known who he was. Um, they, you know, typically the commentaries throughout history always placed him as sort of like a local politician or just a local kingdom, a king of a very small local kingdom um, and who was, you know, maybe a religious figure. But Brother Branham clearly emphatically states that this Melchizedek, this character of Melchizedek, was nothing short of God, Jehovah, who created a body and stepped into it and met Abraham. Okay, he used the term enmorphed, right, that that would be a reference to um like an actor who would change his mask during a play to represent different characters. That it's the same person, but taking on a different character for for the play. And that that changing of the mask would be in the, I believe, the Greek in Morphe. And so here's God, Jehovah in heaven, changes his mask and becomes Melchizedek, and then changes his mask again to become Jehovah. And then later... That he would change his mask again and become Christ on earth, and so on. Okay, and so we see this this story of of Melchizedek, who meets uh, Abraham, and and they, it in the Bible it references Melchizedek as the king of Salem. That's what it calls him. Now, that word Salem literally translates to the king of peace. Um, in Hebrews, uh, I believe chapter six, it calls him um by translation uh, the king of righteousness and also the king of peace now the the commentators all look at that word salem and they call that an archaic form of the word jerusalem that it, that those two things were were similar um, and that they the the um, that in the bible where it's calling him the king of salem they believe that melchizedek was just the king of the town that would later become Jerusalem. Now, you know, we know what Brother Branham taught on that, and so obviously I'm not, certainly never going to contradict that. I do think, though, that it would be so interesting to me that, it, that they would identify him with this location of Jerusalem because maybe he would be both, right? Maybe he is also the king of Jerusalem, right? Not like what they would think, but he is the king of, of a new Jerusalem, so, with that in mind, you have this, this moment where, um, where, uh, so Abraham takes the promise. You, you know, he goes on. He has the son through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and the children of Israel are taken to the land of Egypt in bondage. And then Moses leads them out. And at this moment here, you have the same Melchizedek now as Jehovah leading his people. He's the King Jehovah leading his people out of Israel. To serve him in a new land that belongs to him, right? In which Jerusalem would be the capital. And so they come to his land. They come to this this land of of, um, Canaan. And there's all these struggles and and fights that that they're dealing with, right? We know that there's a type of the Holy Spirit. You know, they, they might have only fought a couple of battles while they're in the wilderness under a type of sanctification. But here, on the type of the Holy Ghost, suddenly they're fighting battles all the time. The entire book of Judges, the entire history of them, um, you know, between, uh, you know, after they were entered the promised land until they received a king, was just nothing but battles. It was, it was an entire book dedicated to what battles Israel fought. And it was this cycle of them failing, basically, that they would get cold on God, they would get slack, get lax, would not really be true to the word. And then the Lord would bring revelation. He would come down and meet with somebody and bring fresh revelation and then uplift the people and they would, they would rise higher. And they would overthrow, overthrow some stronghold that was remaining in the land. And likewise, you know, we can see that in our own lives as, as Holy Ghost-filled Christians. Oftentimes the Lord leaves things, right? Our flesh is this land inhabited by complexes and desires and you know things of the world, and, and, and lust for carnal things. And yet, the Lord will leave that in your body, leave that in you, in you even though you have the Holy Ghost, so that you can have a, a proving of your Holy Ghost. I, I, um, I really appreciate how on Wednesday night, Brother um, J.D. pointed that out, read that scripture where it was that the Lord had left these tribes there for the proving of Israel right? Now, I, you know, I, I hear that, you know, we always talk about the Lord giving us tests to test us. Well, I always, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, well, why? God knows everything. He knows if you're going to pass or fail. Why would God give you a test? That doesn't make any sense because he's not, it's the test, the test results aren't for him. He knows the test results are for you so that you know whether or not you're gonna pass or fail. You can have all kinds of ideas about how how strong of a strong your Christianity is, right up until it gets put to the test, right? Mike Tyson very famously said, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? You know, everyone's got this some idea of how good of a how strong of a Christian they really are, right up until some absolute calamity comes, and then suddenly that really gets put to the test. And it's so encouraging, oftentimes, you know, the purpose of the test is so that you can either fall flat on your face and recognize that you had a hole in your armor. And now you can rededicate yourself and really, you know, consecrate yourself to the Lord in that regard and and improve so that in the future you will overcome that and you will be made more than a conqueror. Bible, a couple verses about him. Basically, Shamgar was just sitting there. And, um, you know, every year the Midianites, I believe, were the ones who were coming in. And every year around harvest time, he harvests his crops and the Midianites come rolling in and take everything from him. And his family has to starve all year until the next harvest because they just leave just enough food to keep him alive. Right. Lord wasn't going to let him starve to death. Right. Because he had something Shamgar was supposed to do. But he, what he was doing is he was allowing Shamgar to get desperate enough so that he would really look down, or look up rather, and recognize who he actually was and that he had a promise that this was his land and that the land had, was given to him. And it wasn't just some place where they could barely scrape by a subsistence. It was supposed to be a land full of milk and honey that they could, they could grow and that it would be a land of blessing for them. And that, the, that they wouldn't be under bondage. But they were under freedom. They could have all, the, all the, the, the gifts that were to come with that. And, But every year the Midianites come in and take from him until he gets so desperate that he one day recognizes who he is, who he really is, that this was his land, that he had a promise to him from Almighty God that this was his land and that this was for him and for his family. And so one year when they come, come along, right, He picks up an ox goad, which if you don't know what that is, it's a little stick with a little brass nail on the end for poking a cow in the rear end to get him to move, right? This is nothing. This is not a weapon. This is nothing, right? And he picks up that ox goad and proceeds to beat to death 600 Midianites. Okay, that's an army. That's a pretty good-sized military unit. And this effectively unarmed farmer beats them all to death with a stick, that's not the farmer doing that, right? Because what it was, it was God, the king, right? The king of peace overlooking his people and being willing to go to battle before them, right? You know, when the children of Israel came to the promised land and they looked at the land and said, wow, this land is full of giants. We are grasshoppers before them. That wasn't really a lie. It was actually impossible for them to take the land. But they weren't the one gonna take the land, right? It was God was gonna go before them to take the land. And so that's what Sham, that was the promise that they had, that was the promise that they had to hold on to. If they were trying to do it under their own power, they would have failed, and oftentimes they did. But when Shamgar recognized the promise that was to him, that it's not us that's gonna be doing this right we look at our lives so many times so we have these things in our lives that we cannot overcome and you're 100% correct you can't do it it's you can't it, it, you know if if you could then the holy ghost would be unnecessary right but you can't but what your job is to do is to recognize that you can't and look to someone who can to recognize that you have a promise and say it's not me who gave the promise it's not me going to do this it's the lord going to do this on my behalf, because I'm following his word. I've dedicated my life to him. Now, if you're worshiping idols, if you're off doing all this nonsense, well, you don't have a right to that promise, unfortunately. Right? You just don't. The Lord isn't going to, you know, we talk about, you know, to, to, the promise of this time would be that the word would be made flesh. Well, how is the word going to be made flesh if your life is a lie made flesh? Right? How is that going to happen? The word can't associate with a lie. So you have to bring your life into subjection to the word, or there is no there is no promise for that. So, um, uh, moving on. Um, the, uh, oh, wow, praise the Lord, my tablet decided to act right. Um, just when I needed it to. Um, So the, the, um, here we go. So, there we go. So at the end of the, at the end of the time of the judges, right? It's this cycle of people failing, you know, turning from God, getting cold on God, God allows them to go through some struggles, then brings them deliverance, and then they live for him for a while, and then they, they fail, right? And we see this in our own lives, time and again. We'll, 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 we'll do, do well, we'll be serving God, we'll see the power of God in our lives, and then, you know, the age, time of the age, it just gets, we get cold, we get slack, we get whatever. Maybe just the Lord needs us to grow a little bit, so he lets us struggle. And this is the this is the process. This is this was God acting as king over His people in the land that He had promised them, right? That the king was to go before them in battle, the Lord was going to go before them in battle and deliver them when they needed it. Um. And and that's and it it was, you know, from the outside it didn't look like a very uh, strong people. They were small, you know, compared to the, all the countries around them. They weren't super. They weren't going on some big conquest, you know, conquering all the lands around them. They were conquering the land that God gave them, right? They weren't, it, it wasn't, it, it looked like a poor people. They weren't lavishly wealthy like many of their neighbors. They didn't have, you know, all these, uh, uh, you know, grand organizations. They didn't have massive castles and big palaces. But they were living under the promise that God gave them. In the, in the, in the under the system that God had intended. But, many people amongst them start thinking that, oh, well, this system isn't as good as it could be, right? We're kind of, this this process of, you know, we do good, and then we do, you know, then we have to struggle, and then we do well, and then we have to struggle. It's just, it's a mess, right? We don't, we don't like that. So we want to develop some sort of system so that we don't have to go through that anymore. And so they look around them and they see that all the other countries have a king, and so they decide that they want to have a king. And we read here in um, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, I don't have the chapter here, but it's verse one of whatever chapter it is. Um, it says, and it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of the firstborn was Joel and the name of his second, Abiah, they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. So now here you have a vindicated prophet whose own children really aren't even following in his ways, right? I mean, it's just that's just what it what it was. And so the people are saying, well, we need to we need to. I mean, this is a disaster. You know, we can't go keep going on in the system because we have no guarantee that the the leadership of our movement is going to be, you know, following the Lord. So we need to just come together and, and just declare somebody to be the leader. And that'll be the system, right? Because we'll know that he's a good person. And, you know, they go to Samuel, uh, in the interest of time, I only got a couple minutes left here, but in the interest of time, um, I'll I'll just kind of abbreviate the story a little bit. They go to Samuel, and he says, you know, this is a bad idea, you know, because you're not really rejecting. um, Well, well, they, they tell him that, you know, he's doing a great job and everything, but they want a king, right? Because they can't trust his sons, and, you know, he's getting old, and after all, and he says, so he's kind of heartbroken about this, because he knows they're making a mistake, and so he goes to the Lord and prays about it, and the Lord says, you know, Samuel, don't feel so brokenhearted. They're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting me, right, because that's the truth. They had a king already, and that king was God, yeah. so for them to ask for a king was saying, well, this God that we have, this king Jehovah that we have really isn't doing it the way we like it, right, so, but he tells them to do it anyways, right, right? He tells Samuel that they can go ahead and have a king anyways. And um, it says here, says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go ye every man to a city. Now I find it so striking that the reason that they want this king, that they say here, because they didn't say this at first, but they said it after, you know, after Samuel came back to them. They said that we may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Huh. Because up until now, it was every family, every individual, every individual farmer, every shamgar had a promise to take his land and his promise, and that he could have the Lord move on his behalf regardless of what he was doing for anybody else. Right? That every individual person had a right to lay claim to their promise, and that the power of God would move in their life individually should they need it. Okay? And now, they want to put it all off on this guy, this king who's going to go before them. Because it shows that their motivations were, because they knew that they were only going to have the power of God move in their life, if, if they remained true to the word of God, okay? And so, for them to demand a king, well, that's showing that they, they wanted to be able to live lax on God, and not depend on God's salvation, They wanted to put it over on some guy. He might be a wonderful man. Might be a great guy. Might be a a true, real, good, honest person. You know, like, uh, really love God with all of his heart and be a genuine believer. 100%. But the people were putting everything on him and saying, ah, that's for him to do. Right? We'll just have our pastor go fight all of our battles for us. We'll go live like the devil. We'll go live carnal-like. We'll go just not read our Bibles and pray every day. We'll just put everything before the kingdom of God. We'll just be, you know, ass sort of halfway in, halfway out Christians. And then when we get in trouble, we'll call the pastor. And our king will do it for us. Uh, that ain't going to work, right? Because what you're doing is now you're putting the pastor in the place of God. And it's not the pastor's fault, right? The pastor was ordained to be here. And furthermore, and this is the, it always, had I always had the question in my mind, why did God allow them to pick this king? Why? Doesn't make, you know, if it wasn't his plan to do it, why would he allow them to do it? Well, the reason was because they actually had a scriptural basis to do it. Okay? In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter, I believe, if I could find it, Chapter 17. Here's what it says in verse 14. When you enter the land of the Lord your God, um, enter the land the Lord your God has given you, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, "Let us set a king over us like all the nations under us, all, all the nations around us," you are to point over yourselves the king whom the Lord your God shall choose. Appoint a king from among your brothers. Brothers, you are not to set over yourselves a foreigner who is not one of your brothers where the king must not acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire more horses for the Lord um, has said you are never to go back that way again. I think this is from the NLT actually. Um, But the king, uh, but he must, he must not take many wives for himself lest his heart go astray. He must not accumulate for himself large amounts of silver and gold when he is seated in his royal throne, he must write for himself a copy of this instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests, and he to read from it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this instruction and these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen, and he will not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left in order that he and his sons may reign many years over his kingdom in Israel. So this is this was in Deuteronomy, this is Moses' law, that they actually had a in the law a, a, a provision for having a king. But notice what the law concerning the king was that he was supposed to be humble, that he was supposed to obey the word of the Lord continually, that he was supposed to read the law perpetually, that he was not to uplift himself, that he wasn't to have all these multitude of wives and a bunch of wealth. He wasn't supposed to build up a bunch of money and have big grand palaces and a bunch of wives. And what king ever did that? What king over Israel, not Saul, not even David, Solomon surely failed on the whole not having a lot of wives thing, right you know what what king over israel ever did that there was one right there was one who rode into jerusalem on a borrowed donkey who had nothing who didn't have a place to lay his head you know that was the king that was supposed to rule over them and, so, and that's the same king that we is to rule over us who will go before us in our battles so long as we hold to the word every single individual has a right to be like Shamgar and say no, I have a right to this. I have a right to deliverance. I have a right to these things and the king over my life will go before me and, and do the work that needs to be done. That it's not me that's going to do it. And you know, that's so many times that I, I, I truly believe that so often, it is so easy in this age to just simply say, well, I'm going to go to church, I'm just going to go to church, I'm not going to worry too hard, too much about, you know, living right, and instead I'm going to let it all just be the pastor's job, I'm going let to the, let the ministry do all the work, I'm going to have no move of God in my own personal life, and just whenever I need something from the Lord, I'll just go up and get prayer. I have no problem with that. That's a statute that the Lord put in. If you need prayer, the ministry would be happy to pray for you. But if if that's the extent, the promise is to you and to your children and to your children's children. You you have the power. You have the the right to go before God in your own home, in your own lives. when, when, When you need something right now and there ain't no time to call the pastor or a minister or whoever. You know, so many times, or even beyond that, we want to put all the signs and wonders off on the, on the prophet of the age, or all, all off on Jesus, you know, of Nazareth somewhere. If that's the extent of our Christian experience, then what have we come to? You know, if, the, if God was in into Melchizedek, and then in into Christ, where is he in now, Right? I would say, I believe God is in more faith into me and into you. And if the same God is with us that was with, you know, that was walking the sea of uh, uh, walking on the, on the shores of Galilee, then the same power should be with us as well. Yeah. Right. We have the same right to deliverance as anybody that ever met Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I got. And we're out of time. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, Lord, we want to thank you for this A little bit of encouragement, Lord, to pray that it would help the people make it through through the week and into the months and into the years, Father, that we could recognize what you're doing in our day and not just put it off on some previous time, but recognize what you're doing right now and we could take hold of it and lay claim to our promises and cast down the devil at every opportunity. We ask that you would be with us throughout the coming service and anoint our hearts to hear your word, Father, in Jesus' precious holy name, amen.